The Fake Show Podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison & Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, now with two locations, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-Shirt Designs, Mr. Antenna, now your host, Jim Tofty. Chicago, the band, was probably the last rock act to perform here in Las Vegas, anyway, before the pandemic shut everything down. And now they're one of the first bands to start touring again, having already played several live performances, including a 4th of July show on CNN. Chicago also has an incredible new live collection of material for the fans, the complete performances from their current Hall shows 50 years ago. To talk about all this fun stuff, I've got Chicago co-founding member and brilliant trumpet player Lee Lochnane on the line from the road. First and foremost, welcome back to the show and welcome back to live performance. How does that feel, Lee? It feels excellent. What I didn't realize until we actually started playing is that not only is it the first time that we have played in 15 months a live show, but it's the first time that the audiences have experienced the venues. The venues are opening up to their first show with us playing it. And it's really exciting because the, the energy is palpable. People are ready for entertainment. And it's really cool being the first uh, band to be playing for them. Yeah, I see a lot of uh, people commenting on social media about going to their first concerts in the past week or so and how exciting it is. I mean, we all missed it. Most of all, I'm sure you guys did. And as a matter of fact, I think Chicago, I think your show was about the last show that played here in Las Vegas before. That's what I have been purporting too, that it was March 14th at the Venetian. And and uh, we were told that night that we were the last show in America, if not the world. How did that make you guys feel when it all shut down? Because you're such road dogs. I mean, this is what you love to do. Well, we didn't think it was going to last anywhere near the, the time period that it did. Uh, I don't think anyone did. And no one had any expectations that this would go on as long as it has. And uh, But to be able to play shows now and experience what people are so excited to be around each other again. I mean, you can just see it. And uh, the, the, uh, they're, they're not having to wear masks anymore because most of them have been vaccinated. It's really, it's really behind us now. And we're going to move forward. And, and before long, in the next, I don't know if it'll take years or less to be what we consider normal again. You know, I, I, at some points during the pandemic, I, you know, you, you start looking back a hundred years ago and you start seeing, let's see, how long did it take them to actually start shaking hands with each other again in, yeah. after the 1918? It's probably four or five years before everything really got back to normal. Did you guys have any time to rehearse together in one room before you started playing dates again? Just a handful of dates so far. Yeah, we went to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, which was our first show. Uh, we went there uh, two days early and and did two rehearsals. And the rehearsals are much more difficult because you don't get the excitement of the audience, uh, you know, generating that energy that happens during a live performance. When you're rehearsing, it's like, okay, I know the songs. 
you know, and you're just getting your chops back together again. And it's harder to play a rehearsal than it is for a, you know, a live performance. An amazing difference. The third day when we played before the, before the crowd, it was a lot easier because we had that energy level again and the, you know, the excitement. I think it can be compared to uh, athletes like NBA players and hockey players who didn't have a crowd there for a while and they were so excited to see people back in the stands again. And, and also it, it equates to like uh, players that come back from injury and, and uh, all of a sudden they're, they're up on, they're on their skates or playing basketball and they're getting their legs together and air and all of that stuff. And the game is a little faster than it was before. And then once they start getting back into it, the game slows down. You know, you, you've heard them talk like that before. That's it, yeah. Yeah. sort of what it, was, what it was like to get back into the, you know, playing shows. One of the things you have been busy with before the uh, tour date started again was putting together the, the big 16-CD deluxe set of your historic Carnegie Hall concert series. That had to be quite an undertaking because you're releasing every single show of that of that uh, residency. Exactly, Rhino uh, Warner Brothers Rhino Records asked me and uh, Tim Jessup, the engineer, to mix and master all eight shows. And they it was originally done on they they sent 41 tapes. They had the actual tapes. And they converted them to digital and sent us the digital tapes. And then uh, uh, one step at a time, uh, first of all, Tim worked about two months in the beginning just taking ambient sounds off of all 41 tapes before we could get down to the actual music itself. And then once we got down to that, the actual instruments, you went into each instrument and cut all the ambient sound out until the instrument played something. So you fade it into that note, fade it out of that note or phrase or whatever it was. And then when there was nothing happening, delete all of that stuff. And we did that on every instrument on 41 tapes. <laughs> it, it, it ended up taking, you know, 10 months to put it together. The result was we were able to make it feel as though you're sitting in the audience at Carnegie Hall. When you turned up an instrument, you weren't turning up Carnegie Hall along with it because we eliminated as much of that sound as we possibly could to control it. I've always been curious. You guys were basically kids. You had, I think, three, three stellar albums out before those dates. But was there added pressure, do you recall, because you were recording those shows? Yeah, but one, you know, what I realized, and and I, looking back on it, we were never as happy. As, we were surprised that it sold a million, and very happy that it sold a million, but we didn't think that it was our best work. When I listened to it now, as we were mixing it, I realized that, it, you know, you know, some things may have gone wrong, but uh, uh, we had a lot of energy, and we just went out and and you know, stepped on the stage and played. And uh, if we were nervous to begin with, it didn't show. 
by the time we got into it, it, any nervousness went away because we were locked into playing together. You were basically the first rock band to play that venue, which is beautiful looking, but was it set up acoustically for, for a band that was electric and had the horns and everything? No, it's set up for acoustical orchestras. <laughs> and uh, you know so when you you play when an orchestra plays pianissimo in the back of the stage you can hear it at the other end of of the uh the hall and very plainly when a rock and roll band comes in there you could probably go in there now and still still hear some of the notes that we played in 71 and they're still reverberating around there somehow this was a residency before bands were really doing that what do you recall about that week week and a half in new york city about what you guys were doing in the city for us we were probably just having like one uh uh, uh sandwich a day you know a, a triple decker and, <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd go in and play the show so yeah, for us it was it was uh, part of a long tour that lasted up until you and I are talking now, and and uh, but it, we were twenty years old, twenty two years old, so whatever the, wherever we were, twenty something back then, and we had just come off a, a gig beforehand. The next day, all of a sudden, we're rehearsing and doing a sound check for Carnegie Hall. We did that six days straight, and then. The very next day, we traveled, I think, back to the East Coast or the West Coast and played another show. We had a day off and went back on on the road. Nothing changed for us. Obviously, this became our fourth band project, the the Carnegie Hall album. It was only one show out of the eight. All eight shows will be out there. It it includes uh, everything. I mean, Ballet for a Girl and Buchanan, which is pure genius, as we all know. You also include a song that I've always really liked, uh, Flight 602, which kind of seemed to me to be influenced a little bit by Crosby, Stills, and Nash and what they were doing. Probably. I'd have to ask Robert if he he thought the same way. But yeah, that always struck me. That's what he had in mind something like that you guys were inducted into the rock hall in 2016 what did that moment mean to you personally you know it is great to be able to get awards and and uh once once you get the award that it can't be taken away again it's like you get the keys to the to this to the city or the room and and uh, no one can take that away from you again and it's really cool but then the very next day we went back on the road and played with uh, <laughs> uh, you know the next gig it was it was like uh, it only stopped for that one brief period and now it's remembered by everyone because it was a TV show and it's still shown on HBO and you know uh, you know so it, it lives on but for us we kept going on to the next day we played with Earth Wind and Fire the next night. I can tell you that I saw one of those dates that was not too long after the uh, Hall induction, and there was a certain energy and joy on your faces. I mean, it, it almost—it was almost like this uh, little extra kickstart, and you guys were very happy and energized. Yeah, yeah, because up up until that time, that time we were we were thinking that it wasn't going to happen. Right. You know, we had we had done everything that is humanly possible and uh, all the criteria had been met to be in the rock and roll hall of fame and we still weren't there. It's like, (laughs) okay, so that, that may not happen. 
So let's yeah. do it. Let's keep going and do what we do. Your first album, Chicago Transit Authority, was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, and you guys had, uh, I think it was something like six months to rehearse that and a, and a whole bunch of material. It was miraculous. And I, I feel like the songs Introduction, South California Purples, and Listen didn't get their just due. In fact, I always felt that Introduction was just a masterpiece where each one of you kind of had your moment to shine. Right. And actually, in our live performance now, we open up the show with Introduction, which nice. still to this day, as it did on the the first song of the first album shows what the band is. Do you recall what it was like to lay that down in the studio? Because it sounded very complicated. There were a lot of time changes. A lot of time changes, but that that was the easy part for us. Actually recording and not not worrying about whether you're going to make a mistake or not was more on our minds than actually being able to play the song. We had We had no problem counting time signatures. You know, yeah. that, it's like, that's what we do. Recording is something that we had to learn. And that was the first time. Well, you know, early on in your careers, you guys had thoughts of actually becoming a Vegas show band? That, at the very beginning, yes. We, we had suits and slicked back our hair and all that stuff. And then about uh, uh, two or three months in, into the, uh, the club career at the time, uh, we went out on stage one night at uh, the Barnaby's in Chicago and yeah. Terry Terry reached around behind him and took the suit coat that he was wearing and ripped it right off of his back. And that was, <laughs> that was the last time we wore suits. Then we, we, the, the next night we were, you know, smoking shit in the, in the, uh, in, in the alley between sets. Yeah. Instant hippies. There certainly was a Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, Spencer Davis feel to it. So did the Beatles sort of change the landscape for bands like you? Oh yeah. Yeah. The Beatles changed everything. They changed the world and they definitely changed us. And, uh, uh, I still listen to the Beatles station now either you know like real jazz or yeah or uh the beatles <laughs> and it's it's amazing how it it doesn't get you don't get tired of of hearing that because it was just so forward moving and not that i i didn't really like all the beatles stuff initially in the beginning but as they progressed and you know got to uh you know, Norwegian Wood and various other songs. And There was that other band, the Beach Boys. What was it like to record with them and also then go on the road with them? Well, we were, we were uh, together a few years already before we played with the Beach Boys. And, and you know, they were like sort of on a, a, a lower ebb coming off of their, you know, initial huge stardom. And we were... We were we couldn't do anything wrong. We were the color of the month <laughs> at the time. Yeah. It was like we played with them. Was it seventy four, seventy five? Yeah, the first time. And, and but uh, our, our original producer had just signed them, which is why the 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 packaging came together so easily. And uh, it turned out to be an incredible show, and it helped them really reestablish their career. And uh, it was an event. And it, we, we did it uh, multiple times after that. And uh, each one of them 
were very, very good. Hopefully we'll be able to do it. We're thinking that it might happen again next year. Yeah, where we do uh, like an encore with both bands on stage. Lee, do you think back sometimes about how lucky you were to find each other? Because there were moments where maybe Terry could have left for Los Angeles and gone a different direction. And, you know, some of you wanted to join other bands and all that stuff. And and now, all these years later, you still love it. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've never, since I started, since I picked up the trumpet, I've never looked back at, at uh, having to get a job. So it's, it's, I'm remarkably uh, lucky to be in this position, especially, especially now. I mean, you know, 70 plus, who would have thunk? I'm still playing with the 20-year-old. I don't think we really thought about joining other bands. Terry, at the, initially, he was thinking of doing different things, but once we started with the band, he was, we were all focused on one thing. Yeah, and that chemistry is, is something that you just can't fabricate. It, it was there right away, wasn't it? Which is why after Terry died, it was difficult for the next couple of years to put that, that missing element back together in the band. You know, and, and for a, a brief period, Champlin covered that but you know that was short-lived as well when in the scope of things when you think of a 50-year career and now we've moved on from that and the band is better than it's ever been you know with neil Donnell singing and you know all the changes that have happened the band is basically is we we've learned our instruments a little bit better we've learned how to to uh entertain a little bit better, I think, and not show our feelings so much on stage uh, as we did when we were young and stupid. You know? but, uh... <laughs> Longtime fans, when they look at you guys in the horn section up on stage, you're always talking to each other and joking and laughing. Can you let us in? Uh, just give us a little nugget about some of the stuff you talk about up there. It, nothing in particular, really. It's just sort of what happens in the, the heat of uh, what we're playing, or you know, like I missed that one. I'll get that one tomorrow night. Stuff like that. You know? <laughs> right. Well, uh, <laughs> that we're... one's gone. Uh, not to come back. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you here in Vegas. I think you guys are here in September. The Venetian, of course. People can pre-order the Carnegie Hall package now on Rhino.com. And Lee, it's always an honor to talk to you every time. And and uh, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Jim. Take it easy. So as hard as it was to believe, Chicago. Chicago was off the road for 15 months, something I didn't think I'd ever hear. They had been consistently playing, really, since 1967, and it'll be great to see them live again. Great insight on what it was that influenced them initially and how it helped develop them as a band. Awesome that they may again tour with the Beach Boys next summer. Make sure that you see Chicago in your town. We're lucky enough that they make several stops here in Las Vegas during the year. That does it for this episode of The Fake Show Podcast. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for listening. As always, I'll see you back here next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com.